Hey there, and welcome to the True and Beautiful Podcast. I'm Jennifer Boynton, and today we are going to hear the first part of Helene's story. I do want to give you a trigger warning, just so that you're aware. This episode contains descriptions of physical abuse and emotional abuse. There's nothing too graphic, but Helene's descriptions are emotional, and at times they're upsetting. Helene's story is hard. It is hard. And it's also amazing. I've learned so much from her. Her story gives me a really clear picture, one that I can feel and grab hold of, of what resilience and fortitude and courage look like. And she has overcome, and she is overcoming, even today. She has a perspective because of her life that is deep and rich and solid. And she has joy, and I mean, it is special. And I'm not talking just a little and only sometimes, I mean a kind of joy and light and love that bubbles up from somewhere way down deep and it spills over onto those around her. I, I cannot wait for you to meet Helene. I hope you enjoy. I think one of the first things that I remember hearing about you was you came here when you were 30 and you didn't know English and you learned English by watching cartoons. Yep. <laughs> and um, that's just such a different experience than I have ever had or heard. And so... I kept on listening to your story and right away I said, I, I, I want to know more about you. I want to know more of your story. Will you tell it? And you said, you said, I have been waiting for you. Yeah. I think that's what the words that you used. So, where do you want to start, my friend, with the story that you have been given? You can start anywhere, love. I was born and raised in Cameroon, West Africa. Cameroon is, uh, was a French colony, so French was the primary language. Mm. And besides French, we, we have more than 270 dialects. Cameroon is uh, bordered by Nigeria or Ghana. It's right there by the equator. So I was I was raised there until I was 31. And, you know, how does growing up look like? Mm -hmm. uh, my father uh, was a polygamist, which means mm -hmm. he had four wives. Beside my mother, my mm. mother was the first wife, and my mother had uh, eight children, and she lost a baby girl because growing up, she always mentioned her name, mm. late Denise, so it was very painful to her. She always mentioned her name. So she ended up having seven kids, even though she carried eight pregnancies. 
and I'm number six out of seven. Mm. So she had four boys and three girls. And three, four, yeah. So four of the four of yeah, four of us are still living mm. uh, and here in America and we lost three boys. Mm. So yeah, long story short, it wasn't a happy home because my father he was an abuser mm. and not only an abuser, he was irresponsible and our mom and ended up raising us by herself and it was a big struggle and of course uh, being alone and raising seven kids uh, that kind of didn't give us you know educational opportunities that we needed because she had to focus on something else financially mm -hmm. and what did she do to make money so so she used to own a store and that's where she, she sold, you know, produce, rice, you know, peanut and stuff like that. She, anything that you can use to cook. And she believed in a woman being financially independent and, and responsible. And I remember she would always say, you know, if I was relying on your father, I would be dead. So she fought herself to build herself a life after she separated with my father uh, with the help of her two young, youngest brothers. But she didn't want us to end up like her because her life story wasn't, you know, it was a lot of pain. And she, all she wanted, especially for her girls, was to go to school. She wanted us to have a degree and have money for ourselves to be financially independent. I can still remember her, you know, saying this to us all the time. And as a young girl, I couldn't even figure out why she was saying that all the time. But now I do. Because with that money, she was able to stand up for herself, her freedom. My father didn't have power over her. She was able to take off herself she was able to take off her children. And that, she earned some respect just by doing that. Uh, I, like, you know, in Africa, you know, the men is everything, and they believe that women are just secondary and they don't have opportunities or anything like that, and they were made to subdue, which is okay, but at some point it becomes an abuse. So she was one that with courage, she kind of break that cycle to say, it is not okay. You, you, can't, you can't keep, you know, using me like this. I'm my own person. So she, she showed me that example that you can get away from abuse relationship. Yeah. You have the strength to do it because she walked away with even with seven kids. And I remember her saying this to my father, watch me and see what I can do without you, wow. even with seven kids. Wow. So she's my role model wow. because I saw her doing this. Yes. And she, she stood up by her, for herself, for her right. And she did it so well. And not that she did it so well, she opened her store and she encouraged 
all her friends who were going to abuse with their own husband, oh. she encouraged them to come to the store and she would give them some produce to sell and make some money to take care of their own children and which they were able to be free from their husband as well. Oh. So she changed her own little community. Yes. Even though those husbands didn't like her, but she set all these women free all by herself. So it was, for me, she was quite an example. So growing up, I always look for her as a role model yeah. because she said it for me. Can I ask you a question? Uh, did you grow up in a small village then? Yeah, we grew up in a small village. We spent a lot of time since my mother was she was like a trader so she uh -huh. would buy uh you know produce from one one market and then she would go to another market to sell so she moved around a lot and she was not able to take of you know of us by herself so we had to spend some time with my aunt her sister my aunt susan yes and 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 then she when she goes to the market she will sell and use the money and bring bring home some food for us so that Susan can take care of us. So she was like the breadwinner. Yes. Her, she was the go, go, go person. Yeah. And her sister was so laid back. So they really split this role. Yes. And that's how I, I stay with my aunt Susan until when I was 13 years old and blessed her husband because mm. not only he married Susan, he married Susan with her four siblings because their parents died pretty much when they were little so he married susan with all her siblings and he was such a good husband for her and he was such a, a good father for us and i can remember the first person i called father was him um. because I, I saw him more mm -hmm. than my own biological father mm -hmm. so he was a, the person i started to call father mm -hmm. yeah It was a three-bedroom house, you know, with a, a mud uh, brick, and yes. and and with a little kitchen outside, and and we were like eight or ten children in that house, and we just squeezed in, and and we would sleep at night horizontally because if we slept. Uh, vertically we're not gonna have you know enough space room. enough room so we slept horizontally but everything was with love uh. we, we, it w the love in that that house was was just so beautiful we didn't we didn't have any idea of you know this person is a cousin or that one is a cousin no we are, we were all children of that family uh -huh. and and blended in and and since it was a big house you know, Sunday was the laundry day, and, and we would take laundry at the little river, like a couple of miles away, four, four, five miles away, and we would do laundry, and, and this, you know, a group would be doing laundry, and a group, group would be drying the laundry uh -huh. on the grass, and the other group would be watching the cows so that the cows would not come and drop their uh -huh. men on the whatever uh -huh. we dry. And then oh we, we would, yeah, we would dry, we would dry everything and bring the dishes and clean, clean. And after that, we would go in the river and take a shower. 
it was just so beautiful, so much love. And we would take a shower and then fold everything back and come back home. And coming back home, you know, expecting dinner. And mom, since mom Sarah was a provider, we had enough food at home at some point. We had enough food. Uh-huh. And, and then we would take off the rest. And we always eat around the, you know, the fire. We eat around the fire and... Mom Susan or her husband, they will be sharing story with us and, and, and you know, and we will laugh. And sometimes we had two beds in that kitchen. We will sleep, in you know, on that bed. And we will be fighting to sleep with, uh, with Aunt Susan. And I still have a scar right here on my knee. I fell in the fire because oh I wanted to sleep with, with, uh, with Aunt Susan. And I was dozing on and off. And they, you know, I didn't want to go back, go to bed by myself. I wanted to go with Aunt Susan and end up, you know, uh, falling in the fire. Oh so it was everybody wanted to sleep with Aunt Susan. So that was the, the home I grew up in. And we had to go like four or five miles away to get water. It was this little fountain and the whole village come at that fountain. Wow. The whole village. That was the only fountain that we had in the neighborhood. And our school was like three or four miles away and, and we would go to school and I can remember we didn't have enough books. Along the way going to school, we would be singing, we would be dancing going to school. Even though when I think about it now, I'm like, what made us happy to go to school even, uh-huh. you know, but we were happy to go to school and eager to learn. And our, our class was, you know, the, the floor was, the, the, you know, was not cemented like that. It was just a little public public school. We were like 50, you know, in that class. And and we we care about one another. There was no division. We mm. love one another. We, you know, during during break, we would go out and play. We would go out and, and, and joke and, and dance and come back to school. And when school was done, we 4 p.m., we were back home. And sometimes we even forget that, hey, we didn't eat lunch. <laughs> we didn't even eat lunch. We didn't, we, we didn't even think about it. And, and we would go home. And when we get home, guess what? what? You, you're lucky if you have dinner. Mm. But still, it didn't stop us from helping in the kitchen if mom had something to do, we will help her. We would, you know, make sure the kitchen is clean. Or if she's cooking, we will make sure we help her. And then I remember this day, you know, I was eating. Of course, the food was little. And mom Sarah was there because sometimes she would come and visit. And as I started to eat, she stopped me and I look at her. I say, why are you stopping me? And she said, you have to go call your friend and share your food with her. Mm. And I said, this is little. Mm-hmm. Why would you want me to share my food with her? And she said, well, we have to do that because they may not have dinner 
and it will be good for you to share your food so that she can have dinner she can have dinner too and i kind of gave her that look because <laughs> i don't think that was something that i wanted to do but what she was teaching me was bigger than that <laughs> and i went and i called i called my friend and she came back she came to me and yet they didn't have dinner that night Mm. So I share my little dinner with her. Mm. That was Mom Sarah, you know, teaching me at a young age how to share. And that that was just the beautiful person she was. And and I shared the dinner. And the day we not in school, she would divide the tasks. So we would go around in the neighborhood and take care of the elderly people. Oh, wow. She will assign each of us. Wow. You have to go and clean their kitchen and help them with their laundry or sometimes just to sit with them. Mm-hmm. She, for her, she she felt like, you know, elderly people need more young people. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that's that was her own way to do it. And we spend more time with young people, sometimes than our peers. Because for her, she thought that, you know, playing around was wasting time. Somebody needed us at that moment. Instead of just playing around, mm-hmm. somebody else can need, need us. And for her, serving was better than playing around. Mm-hmm. So she taught us to do it that way. And when, when I think about it today, I realized that she set up my career path. Yeah. And she didn't, she didn't even know it, but she set up my career path because my desire to work with elderly people oh my gosh. It's just so, it's so huge. And, and I think it's, and even at work, people ask me all the time, how do you do it? How, how do you handle these difficult people? And I look at them, I say, yeah, I think it, it was a gift for wow. my mom. It was how- a gift. How old were you when she assigned people for you to go and visit? We were f- f- five, six, eight years old. Wow. We were little kid. Wow. Little kid. Yeah. But for her, it was so important yeah. that we spend time with elderly people. Because elderly people, for her, they, they're alone. They need company. Yeah. They need somebody to help them do something. So, yeah. For her, it was so important that we spend time helping them. And that's what we do. We, we, we did. And, and sometimes, you know, Saturday, it was cooking day because we would cook a lot on Saturday. And the part was, was huge. It's like the, the part was huge. Of course, feeding eight or ten children, it wasn't easy. But for some reason, they, with farming and mom Sarah, you know, f- you know, fighting for us, going out, going out and and fight and, and, and sell stuff and bring bringing back food. I think that helps mm-hmm. feed those people and with the support of my two uncles. So we had we had you know enough. And my my aunt husband, I still remember, you know, he had a rule in his house that no woman should, should touch a banana, you know, at his farm because the banana was what he would feed us for lunch. So he would cut the banana, the green banana, and bring that home and keep it somewhere in the storage in his house because he had a private house. And when the banana is ripe, every single uh, lunch, if we home, you will bring that out 
and give it to us wow. one by one. And that was our lunch sometime. Wow. And we would A eat slice that banana. of banana was yeah. your lunch. Uh-huh. Banana. We would sit there and eat that banana. Yep. And, and, and that was our, you know, just way to, yeah. to show love to yeah. us. Yeah. You know, that was a present. this kid. Yeah. Oh. So his name, you know, his name was Papa Musa. And Papa that was Musa. my first father. The, the, the first you know, main figure that I knew as a father. Papa Musa was my father. Yeah, and he raised us like that in harmony, in peace, with so much love. And and then came the hardest part when Aunt Susan got sick. At some point, she was diagnosed with uh, brain tumor, and she suffered for it for so many, so many years. And finally, she, you know, yeah, she died, and I was 13 years old, and 13 years old, and I, our our life broke apart from the death of Aunt, you know Aunt Susan, because now Aunt Susan was raising us, and Mom was, you know, out, you know, looking for food and fighting to bring food home or some money when we need it, and now Aunt Susan is gone, so who will raise us? That was a big, big challenge. And and her oldest daughter, she she kind of covered it for a while, but it was too, too huge for her as a young woman to have all this kid. So, and at some point we had to move from my beautiful village, which I love, which I miss, uh, Bangu, Banguville, because Banguville to me is like, is the cornerstone cornerstone of my life. I that's where love was. That's why where family was. That's that's where unity was. And moving from Bangu to go to Loom, which is which was like six hours away, to be with Mam Sarah finally, because I still remember when I was when I yeah, before before we move, uh, I had to look for my birth certificate because they they were looking for my birth certificate. They needed that in school, and when I when they gave me the birth certificate, I I realized that Mom Susan wasn't my mom. Oh my gosh! Because all my life, I knew that you know. I mean, like yeah. before she died, I knew she was my mother. Yeah. So discovering that that it wasn't her name on my birth certificate oh. was a big disappointment. Oh. Because Aunt Susan uh -huh. was she was soft, she was gentle, she was laid back, and so when I discovered that she wasn't my Biological mother, I was so disappointed. And I remember her calling me and she gave me a hug. And she said, it doesn't matter. Even though my name is not on your birth certificate, Sarah is my sister. And if, uh, if you are her child, you are mine. It doesn't matter. And that's, that's, that was, you know, her way, you know, of comforting me. So, yeah, I was okay, but disappointed. Yes. So then when she died, when I was 13, 13 years old, 
we had to move from her house because her husband to die a couple of oh. years before she died. Oh my gosh. So okay. it was it was pretty sad. So all this bunch of kids, yeah. we they had to figure out a house for them. So we moved from Bangoville to Lumville to be with Mam Sarah. But Mam Sarah had only two bedrooms. She couldn't contain all this bunch of kids. Mm. So my cousin went back to be with their parents and we stayed with Mam Sarah. It was different because she just lost her uh, brother-in-law, uh, her sister husband, mm -hmm. and then her sister. They were they were so close. They call each other mom. I've never heard them call each other sister. Wow. She used to call her sister mom Susan, and Susan would call her mom Sarah. Oh, that 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 closeness. Yeah. It, it was just too, and that's why it was it, it was difficult to break us apart because. Even though we had, we were cousins, we, we were all brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. So that division, that rift after Aunt Susan dead, is something that we all are still struggling. Wow. Because we were break apart. Yeah. And we haven't been able to catch up mm. up to now. So... We moved to Lumville, and Mom Sarah, she had her store, and the house that we, we were living in was my previously my uncle uh, Jean-Marie house, my mom, Mom Sarah's youngest brother, because when she separated with my father, she didn't have a place to live, and he gave her this house. And he went out of town and built a new one. So it was a, a two-bedroom house. Uh, how do they call it? One, one, one stair or what? One story? One story. Uh -huh. Yeah, one story uh -huh. house. And that's where, we, that's where we live. And we had to, you know, go help her at the, you know, at the store. The day, you know, like uh, during weekends, we had to go help her at the store. So she used to sell a lot of produce. So in the morning, before going to school, we would carry maybe the peanut or some rice and take it, take it to school. I mean, take it to the market and then come to school. Wow. And when we were done with school, we would go to the market and get some food, the food that she bought and take it home and cook before she comes for dinner. Yeah. And when she comes back from the market, she will bring more stuff for us to do, like, you know, to, to peanut or, or beans, you know, to clean and stuff like that, so that she, she would take it in the market in the morning. And back and forward, it was like that. <laughs> and, yeah, she was, she was straight. Very strict sometimes, but when I grew up now, uh, I realized that it was her way of loving us, it was her way of protecting us because the women that I'm becoming is because of that strict rules. It, you know, I've, I've been able to focus in so many areas of my life because 
I had her as a mother. So she's, she's my whole mother, actually. Even though growing up, we were not too happy together. Yeah. So, yeah, so, and we lived there until, and yeah, while I was living there, uh, there were a bunch of girls in the neighborhood. I was very shy and I didn't say much. You know, I think I observe more than I talk. And I was very focused. And, you know, when school was done, I'd rather be home and cook or, or help mom to cook or clean or to go get water. And there were a bunch of girls in the neighborhood who just spent time, you know, dating already, and they didn't help their parents. So at some point, I can tell they wanted to pull me in this bad habit, and I didn't, I didn't want to do it. But they figured out a way to do it by bullying me. And I was bullied so bad i didn't even know what they, they what they call it today i know it was bullying because going to school you know they would be chasing me and they would throw stone on, stones on me they would boo at me and they would fight me and there were days that i didn't go to school because i was scared to be beaten by these girls and and it went like that for so long and I remember, you know, being so scared. And my mom, she didn't know how to help me. She, she tried her best. And one day, after being beat up so bad, coming back from school, she decided that enough is enough. She has to go and confront this girl's parents. And when she went there, the whole family came out and they beat both of us oh my gosh pretty bad so and Helene how old were you I would say about 15 mm -hmm. yeah and yeah it was that that kind of shut me down because you know hiding I wouldn't even you know be in the you know in the phone yard because mm. they're coming you know all the time and I have to hide in the house oh. and yeah, that house was, you know, it's in the floor, was on built on the flooded zone. And I can still remember when it's raining, you know, the part, you know, hitting each other in the house, it will be, the house, the whole house will be flooded, flooded, wow. everything. And we had to, you know, put things on the ceiling and, yeah, and, and then mold at some point because mm -hmm. water was leaking from mm -hmm. the, from the floor. It was pretty bad. And sometimes we would not be able to cook because the kitchen is flooded. And yeah, it, it, it was so sad. But I never heard Mom Sarah complaining. She never complained. She, she, she just did what she had to do. And as I was saying, when those girls got, you know, they were ready to kill me that's what i would say so mom sarah decided that okay enough is enough and we i will ask that you should be transferred somewhere to go to high school and which i did she transferred me somewhere uh, to go to high school and 
two of the girls asked ask oh my for transfer <clears throat> to go to that school. And it was the same bully on and on. And I was terrified, very terrified. And then mom decided that, okay, come home. And I came home and she said, okay, she asked my oldest brother who live out of town that if he can take me in, in his house so that I can move out of this bad neighborhood. Yes. And he said, okay. And, and she gave him money for my, you know, school fees. And he said, and, and he said to uh, Mom Sarah that, yeah, he registered me in school, but it was a lie. Oh, my because gosh. Because when I moved <clears throat> from Loom to Yaounde, where my brother was, I became the housekeeper. Oh, my for, gosh. For two months. And... You know, I I couldn't understand why I became the the cook oh. or the housekeeper, you know, at my brother's house. Uh-huh. And one day I decided to ask him that, you know, that why am I, everybody is going to school. Why am I not going to school? You know, my, you know, mom Sarah gave you money for tuition, so why am I not going to school? And he got mad and he he physically hit me. Oh, my goodness. So he, I was beat up. I still remember. It was not even 7 o'clock in the morning. So bad. And he asked me to pick up my stuff and go. Oh, my goodness. And this was this ta- a town that I didn't know anybody. I mean, like, I didn't have family except his youngest brother live, like, a couple of blocks away. And... Yeah, he asked me to to go. And I packed my stuff early that morning. I, I still feel like it was yesterday. Mm. And I remember I had my suitcase was my first, the first suitcase I've ever had. Mm. It was sky blue, pretty new. And I packed my stuff and I dragged his, his house was on top of the hills, and I dragged my beautiful new suitcases, suitcase on the stone till the bottom of that hills. And I didn't even have money for taxi. And I was dragging that suitcase, and there was a lady who saw me. It was raining. And she asked me where I was going. And I told her, and I was crying, and I told her the story. And she stopped a a taxi, and she asked me to get into that taxi. And she gave the taxi money to the taxi driver. And he drove me at the destination where I was supposed to go to my 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 other oldest border mm-hmm. and little did I know that it was another hell that I was getting oh, no, into babe. because he used to drive it you know a taxi and he was renting an apartment one bed I think two bedroom apartment two studios something like that and he showed me where I was supposed to 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 stay in my bedroom there was no bed. Mm. 
there was even even a simple mat there was none on the floor and he pushed my suitcase in so that was my bedroom and i had to figure out how to make a bed for myself mm. no bed no mattress no mat so my my bed was any linen or any clothes that i had i laid on the floor and this town was a cold town and i lay everything that i have on the floor and whatever was left i would cover myself mm. and that was my bed for a year <clears throat> and of course my mom had to send some money for me for him to register me to school and school was like 10 miles away oh my gosh and yeah and i didn't have he didn't give me any money for taxi in the morning and i had to walk 10 miles to go to school and 10 miles to come back helene in a town that i knew only both of them her siblings and i did that for a year how old and were you at that time say 20 years old and yeah I didn't eat breakfast I didn't know where to eat lunch I didn't have money and I had a classmate her name is Joy Solange I still remember her and she used to live a couple of blocks away from school and every lunch she would ask me to go to her aunt house with her and that's where i could eat lunch and at some point we had a neighbor a couple of doors away as each time she would cook she would call she would send her daughter Vivian to come and call me so that I can have dinner because my brother he didn't care if I had, I ate or no he didn't even to even to talk to me he never we never talked he didn't talk to me yeah and I remember I had this white ballerina I still remember that's, that was the only pair of shoes that I had. And he, he got worn out from walking 10, 10 miles away to go to school and 10 miles away to come back. And I had some money because my sister sent me some money. And I hide that money. It was like maybe $10. $10. I hide that money in one of my books. So when my shoes was worn out, at least I knew I had that ten dollars. I can go get it and get my shoes fixed. Mm -hmm. But I called the shoes maker, and as he was working on my shoes, I came back to get the money. And uh -oh. The money was gone. No. I remember crying. I mean, like 
crying, feeling disband, this disband. And I, I went back outside, and I said this to the shoes maker, stop, make, stop fixing my shoes, because I don't have money to, to pay you. And there was this lady. She had a bar right next the shoemaker was. She saw me crying and she, she asked me why I was crying and I told her and she gave me money to pay for my shoes to be fixed. Angels. And while I was in Yaoundé, of course, I was, I was hungry, I was lonely. I, yeah, it, it was just so sad, so sad. And at least I had Vivian, her mother would feed me, and strangers, I would, I would call them not strangers, I would call them angels, they were there and to protect me. And yeah, I had, I had to have relationship for money, which it was awful, mm. but I had to do it mm -hmm. for money. Mm -hmm. I love you, lady. Thank you. And after a year, and, and not only that, they will write to my mother, you know, how misbehave I was becoming. And, and I remember my mother telling, telling, saying this to them, it's my daughter, she never misbehaved here. You can't tell me that within a year yeah. she became so bad. Yeah. I don't I can't understand it. But she knew they were lying. Mm -hmm. And so after a year she asked me because I couldn't go home to her. Those girls will kill me. So my older sister was married, my older sister was married, and she was living uh, in Douala, and my mom asked me to move in with her. And yeah, so when I was in Yaoundé, I did poorly in school because it was, yeah, there was no other way. Mm -hmm. So I flung that, that whole year. I flunk it. Mm -hmm. So I moved in with my older sister in Douala and little did I know that I was going to another nightmare. Mm -hmm. And at my my older sister, she she married an abuser. Her mm -hmm. husband was an an emotional and physical abuser. So she was going to hell with her own marriage. And he was irresponsible. He didn't take off her. He didn't take off children. He would just isolate her mm. and isolate the kid. And it was a sad house. Very, very sad house. And I moved in. So I, I became 
the same thing. The babysitter, mm. the cook, the housekeeper, at the same time. But at least I was going to school. But emotionally mm -hmm. dead. Mm. And emotionally dead. I was I was shut down. I didn't talk. I didn't talk at all. And yeah. I would just sit alone somewhere and my brother-in-law was so abusive. Imagine being with somebody who's abusing your sister and the kid and you're cooking to him, mm -hmm. you doing his laundry. I felt like slavery. Mm -hmm. And you would serve him a meal and you would cook, you would eat and you, you, you would uh, pick up the dishes, that was slavery. You, you, you die from inside out. You die. But I didn't have any other place to go. So I stayed with him, with them, for a couple of years. Wow. And until... Yeah, I didn't, I couldn't have friends. My older sister was controlling to very, uh, of course, she she was abused. So she, when, and uh, when you abuse, you abuse. Mm -hmm. So she was that type of relationship with me, you know. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I had a voice. I didn't feel like a mother. Yeah. There was no room for me. Hey, it's me, Jennifer. We're going to take a break now from Helene's story and give you a chance to absorb everything that you've heard. Next week, we'll give you the second half of Helene's background. And in the episode after that, we'll take a foray into a lighter and more philosophical conversation with my wonderful friend, Gretchen. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. <laughs>